The Great Everything is brought to you by J-Phone, the very first kosher smartphone. Smartphone? More like Noble Price phone. Surf the web from the palm of your hand with J-Phone's very own internal browser, Safari. Too busy to type? Do vocal searches using J-Phone's own personal assistant, Shlomo. Shlomo, please search for Shake Shacks nearby. I'm sorry, not strafe. Oi vey. Try out J-Phone's many amazing features and apps. Share your favorite videos online with YouTube. Or listen to some klezmer music with J-Tunes. Lehaim! Lost in the desert? Trying to find your way home? Get easy to follow directions with two easy taps using Google Maps. Moses could assure use a J-Phone. In a rush to get to shul? How about get a ride? Just download Juber, the taxi service where every driver's called Mendel. And no tip necessary! J-Phone, the phone that only works six days a week. J-Phone now comes with extended battery life for those two-hour calls with your mother. Remember to wear a jumper. It's cold outside. Yes, mamushka. If you're looking for love, J-Phone comes with J-Date and J-Swipe pre-installed. Mazel tov. Or maybe you're just looking for some harmless fun. You can find Shiksas a dime a dozen on Goyesha apps like Tinder. But before you touch him, remember to smear him in chicken grease, just like it says in the Torah. J-Phone, first choice for the chosen people. Shabbat Shalom, this is The Great Everything, your guide to the ideas, stories, and culture that make us better humans. I'm Patrick, a former banking lawyer who saw the light and quit to dedicate my life to culture, philosophy, and what you heard right there, which is how I decided to spend my Saturday morning, which uh, I guess says something about me, doesn't it? But you know what? I do what I want because it's Saturday, Shabbos, my day of rest, which for you, of course, means that what you won't be getting is a structured, coherent show slash podcast on The Great Everything. What you will be getting instead is a series of musings and ramblings into a phone. But, you know, to be fair, that's what you've been getting for the past week anyway, because, you know, I'm in the middle of this admin hurricane, getting everything ready to leave uh, the UK definitely and finally and imminently, which means I haven't had all the time necessary to dedicate myself to those wonderful segments I used to do up to a week ago. Yeah, I'm saying they were wonderful. What the fuck? I'm allowed to say that. Or maybe I'm not allowed to say that. Maybe by definition, I'm the only person who is not allowed to say that. But you know what? I'm proud of some of those segments. Less so of the ramblings. But, you know, it's your unlucky day because that's what you're getting today. But you're also getting questions because I received a bunch of call-ins over the course of the week. And so I'll be posting some of those questions and answering them to the utmost of my ability. I'll also be sharing some thoughts on life changes. Why? Because I've had a few interesting encounters over the last few days and one in particular struck me. It's a neighbor of mine who's going through a rough patch and she she's caught in between big and life uh, changing choices and the advice I gave her I think uh, is relevant not just to me but to a lot of you as well potentially. So give me time to collect my thoughts on that and I'll be sharing them over the course of the day. Otherwise, I'll be doing admin, fooling around, and being very, very Jewish. So, uh, I hope you enjoy that. Join me this Shabbos and uh, eat lots of pork, because that's the best thing to do on Shabbos. Catch you after the break. Saturday, Donnie, is Shabbos, the Jewish day of rest. That means I don't work. I don't drive a car. I don't fucking ride in a car. I don't handle money. I don't turn on the oven. And I sure as shit don't fucking roll! Shabbos Shabbos! Awesome segment on Caesar. There is a small error, and that was just that Jesus was actually not a historical figure. Caesar was. Now, of course, I'm always open to contrary evidence, but 
we have so much evidence of Caesar actually being a real person, and he existed a hundred years before Christ, but noth nothing of Christ, no credible evidence, not as of yet. Hey Z, thanks for the call in, and I've got to say, I disagree. And note, I'm not a Christian, which I guess is pretty obvious from the last few segments, so it's not like I have a bone in this thing, because I don't care if Jesus existed or not. Just like any religious figure, the value to me is in the moral teachings. And as you know, my personal moral hero is Superman, who many people tell me doesn't exist either. But at the same time, I see very little reason to doubt the existence of a historical Jesus. Now, you might be saying that he did exist, but he didn't do any of the magical things in the Bible, like walk on water and rise from the dead. And if that's your view, I think I'd agree. I mean, I don't 100% know what Jesus did or didn't do, but I'm generally skeptic of people's ability to alter the laws of physics, right? But as to the fact that he existed, I'm pretty sure he did. Think about it, you're saying that there's so much evidence for Caesar being real and very little for Jesus. Now that's not the case, but let's say it was. This is an example of what they call the argument from silence, and I think it's a bit of a fallacy in that the fact that there's no evidence that he existed wouldn't amount to evidence that he didn't exist, which is what I think you mean. And plus, there is evidence, but we'll get onto that later. And as for the Caesar analogy, it makes sense that there would be a lot more evidence regarding Caesar. He's the most powerful man in the world, a man who lived in the center of the world, Rome, and was personally known by some of the most famous people of all time, Pompey, Crassus, Cicero, the future Emperor Augustus. And he was in his own right a great author, so it's obvious that there'd be a lot more stuff written about Caesar than a man like Jesus, like a, a poor man living in a total total backwater, Judea, a place of no consequence at the time, and whose importance only really caught on after his death. Plus, Jesus wasn't dealing with politicians and authors like Caesar, he was dealing with fishmongers and farmers, you know, not the most literate people. It's like saying, in a thousand years, you think there'll be more evidence for the life of my grandmother or Hitler? And notwithstanding this, there is some evidence for Jesus' life. I mean, the Gospels and uh, oh, the letters of St. Paul, which were written, written you know, tw less than 25 years after Jesus' death. So when there still would have been eyewitnesses. Now, you might say that these people are unreliable and can't be trusted. Now, I agree they can't be trusted on all the magical stuff. But on Jesus' existence, why not? But let's say I do agree and that we have to discount these guys entirely. I'd still ask why Christians would make their fantasy saviour a Jew at a time when the Jews were the most reviled and mistrusted people in the empire. It just doesn't sound like a smart PR move and St. Paul was nothing if not a great PR guy. But fine, let's say I go with that. There's still a bunch of non-Christian authors talking about Jesus. You know, Flavius Josephus, he mentions Jesus, Pliny does too. And then Tacitus, one of the greatest historians of all time. He held a high office in Rome, he had access to state archives, and he hated Christianity. And he still talks about a Jesus executed when Pilate was the prefect in Judea, between 26 and 36 AD, by the way. I mean, there's people talking about a guy called Jesus at that time who was killed under Pilate and who became a figure of worship in this cult called Christianity. And I think that's sufficient evidence to say that someone like that existed, although not, of course, to say he rose from the dead, etc. The point is, I would understand agnosticism like saying the evidence he did exist isn't hugely compelling, but actually saying he definitely didn't exist, that seems like a bit of a stretch. 
And now I'm referring to Antichrist people like the French philosopher Michel Onfray. My question is, why do we feel the need to discount the existence of Jesus? We can still be anti-Christian and want to promote reason and attack some of the bigoted and ignorant views of certain religious zealots. I think there's so much legitimate ammo to go after, for us to go after Christianity that when we go after stuff like this, it feels like people like Michel Onfray are slipping into the unreasonable and maybe aren't motivated by a spirit of honest inquiry and pursuing the truth, but rather just kind of like scoring a point against our enemies, you know, with, with Michel Onfray there's this gleefulness in trolling Christians because he kind of considers them all dumb. And I think, you know, we can still be anti-Christian and go after the real legitimate points without saying that Jesus didn't exist, especially when you've got reputable historians saying that he did. Anyway, just my two cents. Hey, Patrick, it's Ryan from Outwards calling again. Uh, just quick question for you. I was wondering if, what your thoughts were on this. Uh, last night it was nice to finally get a taste of non-news for once on a major news network. I'm referring to CNN and uh, the uh, new show or the continuation of the series, you know, 60s, the 70s, the 80s. The last night was the 90s. It was the two-hour uh, season premiere of, the, of, of this show. And I'm a 90s kid, so i got to tell you, it was fantastic to finally have some nostalgia and bringing back great memories, terrible memories, just all sorts of floods of good things. Uh, music, news, television shows. Uh, last night was mostly about television, but I was just curious to know what you thought about uh, getting a del delightful break from it and uh, if it's something we need more of. Hey Ryan, thanks for the question. I think it's quite relevant to uh, a lot of our listeners, so let's look into it. Do we need a break from the constant barrage of the 24-hour news cycle? My gut reaction would be to say absolutely we do. This just isn't healthy. But I'm going to try and be a bit more considered. So let's start from a couple of considerations on the media landscape that I think most of you will agree with. So one, the news has really changed a lot in the past 30 years. When I was a kid, it used to be an old guy in glasses and a moustache reading out facts in a very monotone voice. It was boring as hell. It was just a, a collection of facts of things that were happening around the world. There was no opinion, no editorializing. To hear the editorializing, you had to switch on to a specific show, usually, you know, at uh, 10 p.m., right? But that's changed. Now it's all editorial. Now it's all opinion. And it's all popping and whizzing and it's meant to be exciting. Why? Because the second consideration is the business model of the CNNs of the world. And that business model is to capture your attention 24 hours a day. That's the 24-hour news cycle. They need your attention. And how do they do that? Well, when there is actually news going on, there's a war or, you know, uh, someone's getting shot live on TV, that's what's happening. However, that's not always the case. There's not always something exciting and relevant happening. So the business model relies on capturing your attention through exalting and glorifying and adding uh, a veneer of relevance to things that might actually not be that important or interesting, which is why we get breaking news about, you know, some celebrity doing, uh, I don't know, getting caught speeding, or, you know, you get 12 cameras live on site when, you know, for the capture of a kitten. Or when there's a terrorist event, you have these situations where after the event, you have just a guy in the middle of the night on the empty street where there's a siren far in the distance and we're looking at 
What exactly? Nothing. Just an empty street with a siren. You see nothing of value, but he's just there because it needs to seem like this is important. This is all happening now. No, it's not. It happened two hours ago. But you're trying to capture my attention by making it feel urgent and important. So the point is, the news media landscape right now, the business model of it, relies on creating an artificial sense of relevance and importance about things that might not actually be of any real value to you. So as to whether we need a break or not, I think we need to keep those two things in mind. How valuable is the news to you? Now, it is valuable to a point in the sense that it enriches your understanding of what's happening in the world around you. But there's only so much value you can get from it, right? When I switch on the news in the morning and I see that they're talking about ah, Trump Jr., he knew about uh, Russia's interference. I say, ah, okay, nothing is happening in the world. We're talking about stuff that happened a year and a half ago. Everyone knew about it. So there is nothing happening in the world because otherwise they'd be talking about that. Switch off, go to do something more important. That's the point. I think you just need to be discerning. You might not necessarily need a break, but what you do need is to think about how much is this benefiting me and then only watch to the point that it does benefit to the point where it starts instead stressing you out making you feel negative about the world or simply not adding any value because you're just looking at a guy standing in the middle of the street talking about something that happened six hours ago where you already know all the facts then change the channel man watch those 90s shows that you seem to enjoy Hello, Patrick. So, um, I want to talk about investigative journalism as it ties to the 24-hour news cycle. Um, I can, I mean, I don't really watch the news. I try to you know, just keep up with, in general, what's going on. But when you say things like um, Trump's son, collusion with Russia, and oh, everyone knew about it, well, I mean, I don't really know if that's true. Um, a lot of people that maybe use region, reason and logic and um, deduct the facts and do research... Um, know what's really going on to some level might know these things but the average person believes you know what they're told by the authority so anyway thank hello aaron yes i take your point clearly not literally everyone knows everything that's going on and in fact even the most informed people right only have a partial and incomplete view of what's going on in the world but what i mean when i say that quote everyone not literally quote, everyone knows about something like, in this case, that Russia attempted to undermine the Democrats' presidential campaign, which, by the way, not the best example I could have made, but it was the most recent big news. All I mean when I say that, quote, everyone knew about this, is that there was enough information out there that was readily available and easy to access that most, you know, sort of, relatively unbiased and informed and curious people would have known about this, at least in broad strokes. They would have known that this was going on. In fact, even the most crazy, biased, partisan, pro-Putin Trump supporter would have at least have had to admit that 
shit, a lot of people are talking about this, right? So that when we turned on the news and found out that there was this big hubbub about these emails to Trump Jr., we would have been like, eh, okay, well, we knew about this. My knowledge of what's happening in the world has not been in any way enhanced or enriched. There is nothing that I really know more about the world. All I know now is that there is a tiny bit more of evidence for something that I already believed, which, you know, can be valuable. And that brings me to the main point that I made in that segment, which you're referring to. Clearly, if you are uninformed and you want to be informed, you should be watching as much of the news as you want. That was my whole argument. It is a personal choice. Only watch it up to the point where it actually benefits you, where it enriches you. Did you learn something new from it? Well, then that's awesome. All I was saying is that once it stops benefiting you, once it's just repeating stuff that you already knew, or confirming your prior viewpoints in no really enriching or challenging way, once it starts depressing you and making you feel negative about the world in a way that doesn't, again, enhance your understanding of the world, then just flip the switch, man. There's nobody forcing you to just watch the news 24 hours a day. So it's a choice. There are some things that enrich you and don't particularly enrich me because I maybe knew about them and vice versa. So to the point that it makes you better, keep watching. To the point it doesn't, flip the switch. That's all I was saying. Hey there, I just wanted to call in about the topic of whether or not we need a break from the news. And I personally have to say, I don't consume the news at all. I don't read them. I don't watch them. I don't listen to them. Nothing. And I have to say that I get the argument of saying that it's important to know what's going on around you. But in fact, like I can really draw from experience here. I probably didn't consume any kind of news. And if by accident over the last two or three years, and everything and nothing happened to me you know like seriously nothing i only know that trump is uh that trump got elected and that's all <laughs> and um i really i didn't miss out anything i didn't fail at something it's all good and i feel like it's just so much more time you can use to focus on improving your own life hey man thanks for your very interesting perspective and you know what i'm hearing more and more voices just like it you know as we grow more and more disillusioned and distrusting and just tired of the media and the news in particular and i also think it fits within a broader trend right of feeling this sense of disillusionment towards experts and journalists who are exactly the kind of institutions we once upon a time used to respect and rely on to get a picture of what the world around us was like. But now we're just getting tired of these people. And this is the broader trend that includes stuff like the anti-intellectual movement and a lot of populism as well. And by the way, I'm not equating you with that. I'm just saying, I don't know why you stopped listening to the news. You might have the best possible reasons. But I'm saying that I think it fits within this broader trend of just, you know what, it's all bullshit anyway. How is this actually doing me any good? And you say it works for you, so ultimately, who am I to say different? You've got to make the choices that make sense for our lives, right? And if this makes sense for you and you live better and you are happier and more balanced and more productive, well, then there's 100% the right choice. Although, allow me to play devil's advocate here, and I'm not telling you how to live. 
But I think that by shutting yourself down from the information, you might be excluding yourself from that conversation, where you get to say, "Well, does this enrich my life, or does it not?" Well, you don't really get to say whether it enriches your life. I mean, knowing what's happening in the world, because you don't know what's happening in the world, right? But you've made your decisions, and from what you're saying, they work for you. So、uh, I applaud that. And in general, you know, I'm the kind of person who feels that I cannot be fully content unless I know as much as possible. No, knowledge for its own sake is something that drives me, right? But I don't think that it should necessarily drive everyone. And again, this is not a direct comparison, but it's it's supporting your argument. Knowing what's happening between Trump and、uh, Russia, for instance, is of virtually no value. To a person living on a desert island somewhere in the Pacific that will never be affected by any of these events, I can see why that person would have absolutely no interest and be in no way enriched by knowing it. So ultimately, it is a personal thing. Not everyone is enriched by the same things. However, I do think that working together in a society and agreeing on how to move forward. Does require a certain amount of knowledge of what's happening around us, because those are like goalposts that show us a certain map of our environment, and the map of the environment is something that we have to keep into account in deciding how to improve it and how to make our society better. But as I say, it's personal choices, and you seem to have made the right one for you. So, good on you, buddy. Good evening, guys. I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about something which I feel might be relevant to a number of you, because I know it's been relevant to me at various points throughout my life. And it's about a feeling—the feeling of being trapped by our lives, of being in a cage and having no choice. The feeling of being on a path we can't deviate from, as though we have to keep doing what we're doing, no matter how much we hate it. And as you can imagine, this feeling can have incredibly Negative effects on our mental health and our self-esteem, so we have to stop it. So I mentioned yesterday I have this friend who's going through a rough patch. Here's her story: she's a fitness instructor who I always bump into in the gym, and she's not from the UK, so she needs a working visa to be here. And the terms of her visa require her to employ a number of people so that she can stay in the UK. She doesn't need employees, but she still pays them because that's how she complies with her visa and doesn't get kicked out of the country. And it's not working for her because with all these overheads and expenses, she's struggling to make ends meet. So it's、uh, having real negative effect on her finances, but also her stress levels. She's a wreck. Every time I bump into her now, she's breaking down in tears in public. She she's struggling to stay afloat. And whenever I talk to her, I get this impression that she feels that she's trapped. She has no choice because to be in the UK, that's what she has to do. She has to pay these people, and she can't afford it, and it's leading her to bankruptcy. But of course, there is a choice there, right? She could leave the country, and she wouldn't have these expenses. But then she says, "No, I want to be in the UK." And I say, "Well, there you have it. Then that is your choice." You are not a victim of your choice. You have decided that it's more important for you to be in the UK than to have a sort of easy, comfortable way of making ends meet. This struggle that is horrible 
and I sympathize because it's really hard for her. This struggle is something she's chosen because where it might lead her, if it works out, is her ultimate dream to stay in the UK. She is the maker of her decision and not the victim. And I feel that understanding this and changing the paradigm and the way she looks at it has been really helpful to her. But it's not the first time I've had this conversation because you see, before I left my firm, I left my job a few years ago, I was talking to people and they were all like, oh my God, congratulations, well done. Because of course, lawyers are so depressed in these corporate law firms that they all see it as like someone's escaped from jail. And then I tell them, uh, well, yeah, no, I'm just off to follow my passions. Oh, how are you going to make ends meet? I say, I don't know. <laughs> and they just look at me and go like, I wish I could do that. And I used to say, well, why don't you? And their answer would always be some variant of, well, I got a mortgage. I got a family. I've got responsibilities. And then they look really sad and depressed. They felt trapped by their circumstances. And my answer would always be the same. You're not trapped. Why are you looking at it this way? Your child, your mortgage, your responsibilities, they are not obstacles, they are not cages, they are merely factors. Weigh them up. Don't look at it as though you're a victim of your life. You are the maker of your decisions. Take your mortgage and look at it as a factor. This is a factor. So one factor is I hate my job, so maybe I should leave. Another one is I have a mortgage, so maybe I need the salary. Another one is, well, maybe I could make ends meet some other way. That's also a factor. But I also have other responsibilities and I need the money. That's also a factor. And then you weigh up these factors. And at the end of this process, you might reach the conclusion that, you know what? Ultimately, I think it's probably the best choice for me to stay in my job and get that salary but you will be the maker of that choice and not the victim. Simply looking at your life as an open possibility for choices, and even the ones that you make that you don't quite like are still your choice, I genuinely think is a step in the right direction towards balance, a certain degree of equanimity, and simply realizing that you have power in your life. The things that you see are traps, aren't traps, they're not cages, all they are are factors. So weigh them as such, and whatever your choice is at the end of that decision-making process, simply own it. You'll see, it'll make you happier. Yeah, so I think that's just about enough from me this weekend. What do you think? But I hope you had a good one. And tomorrow, of course, I'll be resuming the normal programming and the great everything, and I hope you join me for that. But before I leave you this evening, I'd like to ask you for an important favor. So I've been doing this for a few months now, and it's been going way better than I could have ever imagined. Because, to be honest, I didn't really imagine, you know, just late last year I picked up my phone, there was this new app, Anchor, that my friend Mark had recommended, and it was still the 1.0, so it was just, ah, cool, I'm going to talk into my phone and some random guys in America are going to respond, and we'll just talk about the stuff I like, you know, philosophy, but also superhero shows, you know, I was talking about Supergirl and Legends of Tomorrow, all those CW shows. That's just fun, we were goofing around, right? But of course it emerged very quickly that there was a real appetite for the kinds of conversation I was having. And, well, flash forward to six months later and uh, here we are. I have a following, <laughs> which is just so weird to me. I mean, even those words, they just weren't part of my vocabulary a while ago. I'm not sure I fully understand what to do with any of this. But I'm pumped, man. 
I'm so pumped that this is actually making a tiny bit of a difference and that some people aren't just enjoying it, but are maybe even getting some enrichment for it. This is like a life mission. It's like a dream come true. I've always been into this. The idea of spreading education is vital to me because if you're listening to The Great Everything, you know that I believe that some of our core values are under threat with the rise of intolerance and anti-science and anti-intellectualism and just tribalism. But I believe passionately that education can change this, that teaching clear thinking and philosophy and a love for culture and what we stand for can change all this and it can change the world. And I've always been about spreading education. Back at university with my friend James, we decided to spread classics, that's Latin and Greek, to a broader audience, beyond just those who knew Latin and Greek. So I would write these plays that were ancient plays, but modernizing the language into sort of Tarantino style. And they were massively successful because, of course, it wasn't just for the classics nerds. And later, of course, I was also, as you know, mentoring kids from underprivileged backgrounds to help them get into university. Because it's always been vital to me that everyone has access to education and culture. Which, by the way, is the reason why The Great Everything will always be free. It has to be free, because if it weren't free, if it were behind some paywall like you know, the Wall Street Journal, that defeats the whole point. That's just keeping education and culture in the ivory tower, where it can't do any good. The whole point of culture is that it has to be enjoyed and shared by everyone to do some good. So, yeah. As you know, I'm doing this for free, but I'm still going to ask you for something, if you can find it in your heart to accept, and that is, please share. If you like what I'm doing, please echo, please share, retweet, do all the social media stuff of adding, just spread the word, because it's important. I think it's important that we raise awareness about culture and education, because it will save the world. I believe this with all of my heart and you can help me do that. And of course that's self-serving, you know, the bigger my audience, the better it is for me. But I think you guys know me well enough by now to know that this isn't some cynical ploy that I'm engaging. It's not about, well, one day I'm going to get the big bucks out of this because if I wanted the big bucks, I'd still be in my old job. I'd be in an office right now making $250,000 a year. Easy peasy. But no, I turned my back on that. I'm now <laughs> unemployed. And I'm soon going to go to Budapest to read philosophy there and cut my expenses, going to a place that is much cheaper to be able to afford my life. So you know I'm not all about the money. This is actually important to me, to be an educator and for it to be ready and available to anyone who wants to benefit for it for free. So you can help me pursue this mission and maybe together we can actually make a change to someone so please help out share like maybe call in show some love so i know i'm not just doing this for myself and other than that have a great night guys i'll catch you tomorrow i guess with more of the great everything buonanotte arrivederci